Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Listen closely for what I'm about to tell you is true and highly classified. I risk my freedom by revealing this, but the world needs to know. My name is John, and I was a part of a Navy SEAL team led by a remarkable leader named Bernie. Our mission took us to a remote village in Serbia, suspected of harboring pro-Russian terrorists. Little did we know that the horrors we would face there would defy explanation. As we infiltrated the village under the cover of darkness, our objective was clear. Gather intelligence and neutralize any threats we encountered. The villagers, at first glance, seemed ordinary, welcoming us with open arms, providing us with food and shelter. 
they insisted that there were no terrorists in their midst, claiming to be simple, peace-loving people. We let our guard down, taking a moment to relax and replenish our strength. We conversed with the villagers, trying to gain their trust, while secretly plotting our search for any signs of the suspected terrorists. Nightfall would be our cover, allowing us to move undetected through the shadows. But as midnight approached, a piercing, otherworldly screech shattered the tranquility. We rushed outside, our hearts pounding in our chests, only to witness a sight that would haunt our nightmares. The villagers, once seemingly ordinary, transformed into grotesque creatures, resembling the very essence of vampires from our darkest folklore. Fear gripped our hearts as we realized the dire situation we were in. The creatures sensed our presence, their eyes burning with an insatiable hunger. Without hesitation, we grabbed our weapons and unleashed a torrent of bullets upon them. The night was filled with a cacophony of gunfire and the chilling screams of the unnatural beings. In the midst of the battle, we lost three of our own, brave Navy SEALs who fought valiantly but succumbed to the overwhelming force of the creatures. Their sacrifice weighed heavily on us, fueling our determination to survive and complete the mission. When dawn finally broke, we cautiously ventured outside, our hearts heavy with grief and disbelief. The village lay empty, devoid of life. It was as if the horrors of the night had vanished with the rising sun, leaving no trace behind. In the aftermath, we made a solemn pact. We vowed to keep our lips sealed, never uttering a word about the supernatural horrors we had encountered. The truth was too far, fetched too dangerous to disclose. Our words would be dismissed as madness, our credibility shattered. We, the remaining Navy SEALs, shouldered the burden of this secret, carrying it with us through the years that followed. Each of us knew that the truth could imprison us, not behind enemy lines, but within the confines of our own government's walls. Me, my fiancé, his sister, and her boyfriend had hiked up maybe two, three miles to a spot where we could chill and camp for the night. After we had had a few many drinks and had a good time, we fell asleep in our two separate tents. I slept like a baby through the night next to my fiancé, who also slept like a rock. Once we woke up, we cleaned up and gathered everything. We headed back down the trail and got in the car to grab some breakfast. We stopped in a McDonald's attached to a gas station or a convenience store and sat down, hungover as hell and tired. My fiancé's sister's boyfriend, that's a mouthful, was having a sip of his coffee and turned to me. Dude, you were up late as hell last night. You good? I just looked at him and didn't know what he meant. I had fallen asleep at the same time as everyone else. He claimed he saw me in between the tents when he got up to take a piss around two in the morning. His smile immediately faded when I told him that. I felt a massive chill go through my body. I wasn't sure who or where what he'd seen, but it wasn't me, and I know that much. I was out for a day hike in the Hudson Valley in New York. My friend and I are probably about three miles into the woods on a section of the trail surrounded by absolutely nothing but shitloads of trees. No breaks in them or anything really. 
and it was a relatively flat section after just coming down from the summit. Off in distance, not too far from the trail, there was a perfectly inflated red balloon tied the trunk of a tree. We hadn't seen a single other person on the trail all day, and the forest was eerily quiet, too. It looked like the area hadn't been disturbed at all. No signs of footprints or other people being on that section of trail. It just gave me the creeps. Even now, when I hike that same trail, I get goosebumps and an eerie feeling when I go through that section. To my knowledge, it's not haunted and nothing happened there either. So, yeah, just a random, perfectly inflated red balloon tied to a tree. Me and my friends were hiking in Hoosier National Forest, which is a massive forest around Bloomington, Indiana. This R is full of hillbillies and rednecks, so when we looked at the map and saw houses, we knew what we were in for. The first encounter we had was a man with a swisher suite in his mouth, walking down one of the foothills with close to eight dead possums. Not even in traps, they were just on his back. The second encounter we had was with these people walking around with a confederate flag. As we walked up the foothill, we heard these guys talking about how they didn't like all the tourists because they were bringing too many Mexicans. The entire time as we walked past, they were waving the flag and chanting random shit the entire time. The last thing we saw was close to the end when near the lake we saw these people near a den or something on the shore of the water waving around a dead raccoon with blood dripping from it. I still don't know what they were doing. That hike leaves me with so many questions. About 15 years ago, I was running cats in January, and there was a hard to get to block that. If the river was frozen, the cats and hounds would cross and end up in no man's land that was really tough to access. If you didn't want to go swimming in January, I had been in this spot once before a couple years earlier, and the chase broke up, and I was able to call my dogs out. It was always pretty rare that they ended up crossing the river. They came running back out. One had a minor injury from what looked like a stick, but I didn't think too much of it as they get beat up a little running through the brush. Fast forward a few years later, and I have a great race going. But they went cross-country like a bat out of hell and right to the river. I can tell they crossed into no man's land, and I hike in to make sure. I look, and the ice is really terrible, so I can't follow. I give it about an hour, and the dogs go out of hearing and are sort of circling one spot, but not treeing. This goes on for another 30 minutes or so, and I decide I need to go in. I get to a hill and call a friend who lives nearby to see if I can borrow his snowmobile to save me about five miles of walking in time if something weird is going on. He says no problem. So I grab the sled and go in, coming from another direction. That is an old logging road. I'm able to get within about one-half miles of the dogs and get to hiking and closer to where the dogs are. As I snowshoe in, I could tell one of my dogs ran to the snowmile right away which is fine. I knew he would stay with the machine. I hike into the other two, and they are running all over, but not really doing anything. But I see them covered in blood. 
I call them over and both dogs have single puncture wounds about as big as my finger and perfectly round. One dog has it in her chest and the other in the rear part of her rib cage. I call them over and we start hiking back to the snowmobile. I can hear my third dog howling where the machine is parked. I get closer and I can see my male dog standing on the snowmobile seat and blood running out of his chest. He also has a perfectly round puncture. I get all three dogs to sit on the snowbell and I ride out back to my truck. They're bleeding like crazy all over the machine and the front of my hunting coat. And Pants is also now soaked from having a dog riding on my lap. I get the snowmobile back to my buddy and he sees the dogs and is wondering what the hell happened. And his snowmobile has blood everywhere. I give the dogs what antibiotics I have plug the holes a little, and get them to the vet wondering if they have been shot or what the hell happened. The vet looks the dogs over and is clueless, just says they were obviously punctured with something. But whatever it was didn't break off inside or stay put, and it was clean, so something likely man-made. I tell my buddy about it and that I'm really clueless, but something weird went on back there. Drove me nuts. We got significant snow that night, so it covered up most of their tracks. But I was able to track where they went and found nothing obvious that they would have run into. And no human tracks anywhere. There is, however, deep snow. So there is a pretty deep trough where the cat and dogs ran, and it would be easy for tracks to blend into that with fresh snow covering them. Fast forward a year and a half later, my buddy who let me use his snowmobile is hunting bear in that same area with some friends. The bear crosses the river into no man's land and the dogs end up deep into the woods there, in exactly the same area, circling all over but not treeing. They figure out a way to hike into the dogs, get in there in six. Bear dogs are running around with perfectly round puncture wounds bleeding everywhere. Take them to the vet. Vet says no idea what happened. Clean hole like somebody just ran up and speared them. It was the end of deer season and I had just finished up an evening hunt. As I made my way back to my truck, I switched on my headlamp's red light and tried to walk quietly. I didn't want to startle any deer or other wildlife that might be nearby. The moon was out, casting a pale glow over the woods. I walked along the road, taking in the eerie beauty of the night. As I walked, I saw something glowing off to the side of the road. My curiosity was piqued, so I approached the object cautiously. As I got closer, I could see that it was the embers of a fire. I couldn't see anyone around, but I knew that someone had trespassed on the property to build a fire there. I felt a shiver run down my spine. What kind of person do something like that? I tripled my pace back to my truck, my heart racing. I threw my gear in the back and peeled out of there as fast as I could. I drove home, trying to shake off the feeling of unease that had settled over me. As I drove, I started to think about what had happened. Why had there been no smoke? Why had someone built a fire right off the road where they could easily be seen? Then, as I replayed the events in my mind, it hit me. There had been a silver Myler balloon off the road, and my headlamp's red light had reflected off it, creating the illusion of a fire. I couldn't believe how foolish I had been. 
My fear had gotten the best of me, and I had let my imagination run wild. I felt a sense of relief wash over me, knowing that I had not stumbled upon some sinister plot or nefarious trespasser, but at the same time I felt embarrassed by my own reaction. I had let my fears get the better of me, and I had let my guard down. It was a lesson that I wouldn't soon forget. From that moment on, I vowed to always approach things with a level head and to never let my imagination get the best of me again. My name is Glenn, and I'm a park ranger at the Warm Springs Reservation in Oregon. I have seen some strange things in my time, but what happened last week left me completely bewildered. My mother-in-law, who lives on the edge of the reservation, called me one day and said she had found some strange tracks in her backyard. I drove out to her house and examined the tracks. They were about 17-18 inches long and looked like they had been made by a giant barefoot creature. I was skeptical at first, but then I noticed that the tracks were spaced much farther apart than any human could manage. I started to get a sinking feeling in my stomach. What if it was true? What if there was a dogman out here? Later that day, I received another report from a local resident. They had seen a black bear running off the road into the brush with a dogman chasing it. I couldn't believe it. I had heard stories of werewolves chasing down prey before, but I had never actually witnessed it myself. I decided to investigate further and went out to where the bear had been last seen. As I approached the area, I could smell a terrible stench. When I got closer, I saw the remains of the bear. It had been shredded apart as if something had torn it limb from limb. There was no sign of any other animals or humans around. It was just me and the gruesome scene in front of me. I was starting to feel really uneasy. What kind of creature could have done this? Was it really a dogman? I had to find out. I spent the next few days searching the area, setting up cameras and traps, hoping to catch a glimpse of whatever was out there. One night I heard something outside my cabin. It sounded like heavy footsteps, much heavier than any human could make. I peeked out the window, but all I could see was darkness. I stepped outside with my flashlight, and suddenly I heard a loud roar that echoed through the trees. I was frozen with fear, and then I saw it a huge, dark figure standing in the shadows. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was at least eight feet tall, covered in shaggy black fur, and its eyes glowed with an otherworldly light. It stared at me for what felt like an eternity, and then it turned and ran away into the night. I never saw the creature again after that, but I knew that I had witnessed something incredible. I reported everything to my superiors, but they dismissed it as a bear attack. They didn't want to create a panic among the local residents. I still think about that night often, wondering what else is out there in the forests and mountains of the Warm Springs Reservation. The dogman may be just a legend to some, but for me, it's a reality that I will never forget. My mom called me late at night last year, freaking out. She was home by herself and completely terrified. As she made her way down the hall to her bedroom, she was suddenly met W.A. loud, weird, high-pitched whistling coming from her open bedroom window. She was frozen with fear. 
When I tried to reason with her that it could have been an owl or something of that nature, she stayed adamant that it couldn't be, because whatever it was, she could tell it was pushed up against her window screen. And since her windows were a good seven feet off the ground with no ledge whatsoever, it just didn't make any sense. She could tell it wasn't human, whatever it was. I have no problem believing it could have been something unexplained, since I honestly could write a chapter book of the extremely odd supernatural things I've experienced in my life. When I was around 15, me and my friends were driving around going to all the haunted places around the basin. It was getting close to Halloween, so as is tradition, we were all trying to scare each other. First we went to a place called the Haunted Woods. This is an actual business, not a place in the woods. Then we went to an abandoned hotel near the Ute Reservation. Nothing of significance happened there. We didn't see or hear anything, and we were just goofing around and having fun. Then the driver says we were going to Skinwalker Ranch. I had never heard of Skinwalker Ranch, but I had heard plenty of stories of skinwalkers. I was intrigued at first, but as we dropped down the hill back behind the property, a feeling of total dread settled on me like a heavy blanket. Everyone in the car got more and more quiet, like they were feeling the heaviness too. I don't think we should go here. I spoke softly. Oh, we're going. The driver announced there's no moon tonight and no flashlights allowed. He continued, I will just stay in the truck then. I have a really bad feeling and I don't want to go. I spoke again. You aren't staying in my truck alone, now get out, he said rudely. I got out of the truck and looked over at my best friend. Her face was white and her eyes were wide and round and I knew she felt the same way that I did. We shouldn't be here. The driver of the truck said that this was the back end of the huge ranch. I wouldn't have believed him that this was really Skinwalker Ranch if I didn't feel that it was in every nerve ending of my body. He walked over to an ancient post and pole fence, undid the loop of wire holding up a small gate and laid it on the ground. There was an overgrown two-track road leading up into the darkness, and we followed as he led us up it. The horrible feeling of dread was almost overwhelming, and I felt like I was going to be sick. I wanted to go running back to the truck, but had a deep fear that something would pounce the moment I left the safety of the group. We weren't laughing and joking here. That heaviness was weighing on all of us, and we walked silently through the dark. As we walked, I tried to keep my eyes on my feet, but I would occasionally glance to either side of the two-track road. Each time I did, I would see a huge black mass out in the tall grass. I told myself it was just a cow, but each time I looked, it was in the same spot off to the left, following our journey to the old homestead. Finally, the driver and leader of our foolish expedition stopped and said that we were almost to the old homestead, that we needed to stay quiet in case the owners were around. As he turned to start walking again, a growl leapt from the darkness, and he stopped and took a step back. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. He wasn't our fearless leader anymore. His voice shook as he told us it was time to head back to the truck. We walked a little ways back, and then one of our group said they needed to use the bathroom. We stopped by a small stream running along the south end of the property. I was smoking and talking to one of my friends about how relieved I was that we were leaving. I glanced down at the stream at the same time my friend did, just in time to see a black figure emerging from the water. It was not a cow. It was not a coyote. It looked like a too skinny and too tall man. We both screamed and ran back to the road. That was the last straw for everyone, and we all ran the entire way back to the truck. Now I know that is eerie, but kind of uneventful. Have no fear. My story isn't over yet. A few months later, this adventure had slowly left my mind. I had started to convince myself that the figures in the darkness were just cows and that it probably was just the dark running water playing tricks on my eyes, making me see things emerging from the water that weren't really there. My best friend had come over to my house to sit outside, bullshit, and smoke cigarettes. We did this pretty frequently. Like I said in my last story, we lived in the middle of nowhere. So dumb things like this were about as much fun as we could have. So we are sitting in her car just across the road from my house. Her car is pointed towards the town park, which was just about a block away from my house. There are no other houses on the way to the park, so with the street lamps on at the park, you can basically see everything up there. Oh, look a deer, my friend says suddenly. I could see a set of glowing eyes on the very far end of the park. Oh, yep, there it is, I reply. We watch it as it slowly walks towards the center of the park. In this spot, it is a huge metal slide or jungle gym thing that is probably 10, 12 feet tall. As the deer is walking, I notice that for some reason, I can't make out any features of the deer. It seems to always be just out of reach of the street lamps that are dotted throughout the park. The deer is right next to the slide when suddenly it stands up. The eyes that we were watching are suddenly even with the platform of the slide, which would make this deer 10, 12 feet tall. Then it starts to walk standing on its hind legs. Me and friend both started panicking. What the F is it? That's not a deer. We keep watching this extremely tall creature cross the park when my friend decided we're driving up there. She locks the doors and we head towards the park. When we were almost there, the eyes had crossed the street and went into the neighborhood across from the park. By the time we got there, whatever it was had vanished. Another few months go by. The event had definitely rattled us, and there was no convincing ourselves that it was a deer. Deer do not walk on their hind legs, and they are not ten feet tall. One night, I'm at the same friend's house. This friend lived smack dab in the middle of huge farmland. All around her were pastures. It was very peaceful most of the time. We had spent the night watching movies and hanging out. I went and started my car, and we were smoking together on her porch before I left. 
We were just chatting when suddenly her eyes leave my face and look behind me and her eyes grow wide. I turn to look and see two glowing red eyes just past the fence into her neighbor's pasture. What the F is that? I manage to squeak out. I don't know, she whispers back. The eyes remained fixed on us for about 30 seconds, then turned to the left, blinked and vanished. We both ran back in the house. I didn't dare go home for another 45 minutes. If my car hadn't been already started, I probably wouldn't have left at all. A couple of years after these events, I was speaking with a Ute tribal member that I worked with, and she said something that gives me goosebumps to this day. She told me it isn't what's on the ranch that you should be afraid of. It's what follows you when you leave. I am convinced that something followed us from Skinwalker Ranch, and those terrifying events was something warning us to never go back. I never did, and I never will. I used to work on the north slope of Alaska in the oil industry. The work we were doing required us to travel far out into the Alaska Petroleum Reserve, which is basically just untamed tundra wilderness for hundreds of miles. The oil companies would build these long ice roads in the winter that would lead to exploration drilling pads. Our job was to go out after they finished the initial drilling and test rock formations for their oil-producing qualities. It was mid-January, the sun hadn't quite come up yet, and when I say the sun hadn't come up, I mean in almost a month and a half, polar nights are intense. The particular well site we were traveling to was about 60 miles west of Alpine, Alaska, deep in the wilderness. Our job took a week, but we finished and were headed back to camp to finish our hitch and go home. At the beginning and end of the ice roads are guard shacks that you have to check in and out of for safety. No cell reception and radios work only up to a distance. If you don't check in or out in a set time, they come looking for you to ensure you're not a popsicle. It was about four in the morning, not that it mattered in the land of endless night, and we were halfway across the ice road. Travel was slow as the speed limit on the roads is only 25 miles per hour. When something appeared on the road in our headlights, it was a man in jeans, sneakers, and a hoodie jacket walking down an ice road in wilderness tundra at 4 a.m., and it was minus 20 degrees outside. It's not unusual for the local Inuit people to be out this far hunting. Maybe his snowmobile broke down and he's trying to get back to the guard shack. Seemed plausible. He didn't acknowledge us as our trucks rolled up next to him. He just kept shuffling forward. He didn't seem cold. His clothing, while totally not appropriate for this extreme weather, appeared warm and dry. We also noticed he wasn't Inuit, but Caucasian. I rolled down my window and asked if he needed any help and if he was okay. He still didn't acknowledge us, just kept shuffling forward. His face was completely blank, devoid of any thought or emotions. The other guys in my truck suggested that maybe he was in an accident and in shock. I continued rolling my truck alongside him as he trudged down the road, still trying to get his attention. Even in this extreme cold, I could occasionally get whiffs of a peculiar smell coming off him. He smelled uh, acidic, if that makes sense. There was just a lot about this guy that made the hair on my neck stand up. The guy behind me in the truck's crew cab had had enough of all this. He rolled down his window and reached out to grab the guy. 
He later said he was just going to try and shake him out of his stupor. Before my buddy's hand could reach him, though, this walking popsicle spun around and latched onto my buddy's outstretched arm. He glared at my buddy and then at me with this look of pure rage, not removing his hand from his arm. If emotions had a physical temperature, this guy could have melted the entire tundra that night. My buddy groaned in pain as he tried to get his arm free from Mr. Popsicle. At that moment, this guy starts screaming in our faces. There was so much hate and rage and anger in that scream. It was absolutely terrifying. I slammed on the gas and spun out on the ice for a second before the wheels caught and launched us forward. Popsicle dude still had a hold of my buddy's arm and was trying to pull him out of the truck. He was running alongside the truck while the other guys in the cab held onto my buddy to keep him inside. After several moments, if could only have been a few seconds at most, my buddy tore free from this guy and we hauled ass to the guard shack another 30 miles down the road. We checked in with the guards and reported what we had just seen. The guard was looking at us like we were pulling a prank, but policy said they had to check it out regardless. My buddy's arm was sore, and when he pulled back his sleeve, there were noticeable bruises in the shape of a hand around his arm. We filed a report with a guard, and we are told to head back to our camp. None of us really wanted to talk about what happened, and it was a quiet drive the rest of the way. We flew home the next day. The next time we saw the guard at the shack, we asked him if they ever saw Mr. Popsicle on his patrols. He told us they searched up and down that ice road for a solid 12-hour shift and saw nothing, not even tracks in the snow leading off the road. He told us it was a good prank and that he'd get us back for making him waste a shift driving around. But it wasn't a prank. Who would make up a story like that? And who would willingly bruise their arm for a dumb prank? We never got a satisfying answer to what happened that evening. I still wonder about that dude. If he even was a dude, the Alaskan tundra is a weird place, and that was just one of my many weird stories from my time up there. I'll work to write down more of my experiences and share them to the appropriate subs. True Story I used to stay at my grandparents' house a lot when I was younger. They wanted to help out and such. They owned a 40-50 acre farm with their house about a quarter mile into the woods. It was summer and we all were going to bed. I always have had trouble falling asleep and was the only one awake and was returning from the bathroom to join my cousin on the top bunk with me in the bottom. The bedroom had one window facing a light post my grandparents had installed. I was just covering myself up when I saw something cast a shadow against the window curtain. Once. Then twice it was fast, but I could tell there was something moving outside. I crawl out to the bed, hugging the floor, already scared. I was about a foot from the closed curtain with my eye just above the window sill. I stared out and nothing happened for a few seconds. Then I saw a figure cast a shadow onto the curtain. It looked like a big dog head. Long snout tail pointed ears. It stopped perfectly center of the window frame that slowly turned its head to face me. I froze, but it then raised up a few inch to show its shoulders. I can only describe it as a wolf head on a human body. The it turned away and moved on. People said I was young. It was only a nightmare. It wasn't I remember it too vividly. 
I forgot to mention that this window was about five feet up from the ground. It was my mother's old room as a child, and when I asked her if she ever saw anything, she paused for several seconds, began to speak, shook her head, and stuttered out a no. She knew the folklore and refused to speak, and we dropped it, but I knew why she responded that way. Never mention them aloud. I can't explain this. I'm still scared to be alone at night there. Even typing this gave me goosebumps. My aunt and uncle were pretty rich. My uncle's family owned Kearns, and he designed airplanes for Boeing as a career. My aunt won the lottery, so between the two of them, they were loaded. They bought a large plot of land in Southern California that I would describe as 30% desert, 60% forest, 10% mountains. It was ridiculously hot and dry, but not so hot and dry that plants and trees couldn't grow. My cousin and I never had a shortage of places to explore. When we were kids, they were the only house for miles in any direction, so we had plenty, too, of woods to explore, small mountains to climb, and wildlife to experience. Because of the climate, we really only ever saw lizards, rattlesnakes, tarantulas, and coyotes. Can't say I ever saw a deer in those woods. That's why it seemed like such a desert. This story took place in 2003. Anyway, when I was 13 and my cousin was 14, we decided to see what was beyond a large hill we hadn't yet gone over. So we set off and at the other side of the hill we found a dirt path that looked like it had been carved through the brush by animals using it as a natural path. But we also saw deep but thin grooves in the dirt that showed the telling signs of a tire. A single tire. We deduced that it was probably a wheelbarrow, but there were no human footprints near it that indicated anyone was pushing it. So what the hell was? Being young and dumb, we followed the tire track, and it led us down into what I could only describe as a natural cul-de-sac of rocky cliffs. The only way out was the way we came in, or we had to climb the 60-foot cliffs on all sides of us. Trees grew here, and the ground was muddier, giving us a clearer look at the tire tracks. Still no other human footprints but our own. They were animal prints. Little imprints of claw marks that showed lizards had clearly been here. Coyote paws checkered the mud, and even the broken lines of snake tracks that alternates between thin and wide. The usual fauna we saw had all seen this place. We found the wheelbarrow just at the base of the cliff furthest from where we had come in, but that isn't all we found. We found clothes all over the place, some clean, some filthy, some for older people, some for children, still no human footprints. We also found toys, nothing mainstream. These were handmade, carved from wood or chipped from stone. They were pretty detailed figurines, still no human tracks. We found shoes, but no shoe print, no bare feet. We also found a hole in the cliff. It was a near-perfect circle that went about 30 feet into the cliff. We always brought flashlights on these trips, so my cousin shined his flashlight into the hole. The rock all around us that made up the cliff was red and orange, but the bottom of the hole was covered with a gray dust, and the back of the hole ended against a wall of rock of the same gray color. 
It was the same color as the figurines we had found, and I went and grabbed one to try and compare, just curious to see if it was carved from the same stone, because whoever would drill 30 feet into a red cliff to get to some boring gray rock in the middle, just to carve little toys out of it. Well, they were odd, but dedicated. Then we finally took notice of the size of the hole we were staring into. It was small, really small. At the age of 13, I was only 5 feet 4 and really thin, and there was no way I would ever be able to squeeze into that hole. We contemplated what the hole was for, since clearly nobody strong enough to carve into the wall could fit in there. As we tossed ideas around for a couple minutes, we stopped at the very clear sound of a whimper, followed by the clear clatter of rock on rock, like throwing a small stone at a boulder from inside the hole. My cousin chained his light back in as fast as he could. Nothing. Still an empty, dusty hole in a cliff, except for one rock about 15 feet and that we both were pretty sure was not there before. So something had thrown a rock out way from inside the empty hole. I still had one of the figurines in my hand, so I threw it hard toward the back of the hole and the very instant it met the back wall, we saw an arm and hand shoot out from around a corner we didn't know was there and snatch the figurine and pull it into the unknown. The arm was human-ish. Now we only saw the arm for a split second as it grabbed the figurine and withdrew in an instant, but we both noticed a few details that we confirmed to each other. It looked like a small child's arm, but it was multicolored. It was a pale blue along the underside of the forearm and bicep, but the same reddish color of the rock around it everywhere else any hands were bigger than should have been on an arm of that size. But the most noticeable was an unnatural bend in the arm that made it look like it had a second elbow. The arm seemed to unfold to snatch the figurine like a scorpion tail stretching to strike. We got the hell out of there fast. We went back and told my uncle about it, and he decided to come back with us to check it out. The way we described it, he was worried it might be a runaway child or a human trafficking pit stop. When we got there with him, all the clothes we had found were gone. The wheelbarrow was gone. Still no footprints except for ours. The only thing that remained were the figurines of stone and wood. We showed my uncle the hole. He shined a light into it and saw nothing, although he was curious as to what the hole's purpose was. It wasn't natural, obviously. We grabbed one of the figurines and threw it to the back of the hole again. Nothing. No arm to grab it this time. My uncle didn't believe us about what we had seen, but after looking around the area, he found some things we hadn't. There were rock carvings in the cliffs, illegible letters and drawings. The trees had scars that looked like stab marks. Some of the bark on other trees was shredded or beaten to splinters. He called the cops, and we made a final trip back to show them the spot. This time, my cousin brought some of his own stuff. A remote control car with a video camera taped to the top. We got back to the place with a couple of officers, and they looked around. They, too, were most curious about the hole. We made another attempt at throwing a figurine into it, but again, nothing happened. As the cops were talking to my uncle... We all heard that same whimper my cousin and I had heard when we were alone. My uncle, the cops, and my cousins and I all heard it coming from the hole. The cops shined their light into it and saw nothing. We threw another figurine. Nothing. 
So my cousin pulled out his little remote control car with the camera taped to it and put it in the hole and drove it to the end, turned it to look in all directions, and then drove back. We all looked at the footage, in the back of the hole where we had seen the arm shoot out to grab the figurine. There were dozens of similar figurines, all standing and arranged in neat lines and formations, all looking in the same direction. But the hole ended there. There was nothing beyond that. Another dead end, or so it seemed. The whimper had no source. We all got out of there, and the cops said they would look into it. The following morning, my cousin and I woke up to find one of the figurines sitting on the dresser of my cousin's room. He gave it to me. I still have it. It still freaks me out.